All right, we are into hour two. It is Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, Logan Gordon and Pat Steinberg along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios in Calgary, Alberta. For our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Cracked Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. This is DLBasementSystems.com. Hour one. Lots of hockey talk. We heard from Rasmus Anderson on the 32 Thoughts podcast with Elliot and Jeff Merrick. Also chatted with Brent Gunning from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. All things Austin Matthews after signing that four-year contract extension yesterday. But we're kicking the hour off. Oh, I just, I love when everything comes together and we can reunite on the airwaves. Steinberg, Gordon, Verk. It just sounds Who? so good. Yeah. Adnan, yeah. how are you, pal? Uh, reuniting is so good, fellas. Great to be back with your logo and Patty as well. What an unexpected, pleasant surprise when Cameron Hughes reached out to me an hour ago. Do you got time for signing a logo? I always do. Great to be with you, boys. It is good to have, uh, good to have you on work. and uh, good to be alongside our pal Pat Steinberg. I'm just, moonli- I'm just moonlighting here on Logo's show. And so I'm like, I, you want to bring Verk on? Bring let's Virk. let's friggin' go. Let's do it. I love it. Steinberg, like, you don't get enough time off here, right? Your flames grinding all the time. Summer, a little bit of a break, and then you're chipping with Logo. I, but I did see, I think you were posting a recent Instagram. You did get some, uh, some world travels in. So that's yeah, good news, right? I was, I was off for four weeks. I got, I got, a, I got a decent, and then I'm off. I'm off next week as well. So I, uh, you know, five okay, weeks, good. five weeks out of seven, uh, plus a much reduced workload in the summertime. I'm, I'm okay with that. But my point is, like for those listening, you are grinding the rest of the time. I mean, it's like I, I, w- I wouldn't. Maybe it's not seven days a week, but it's like six days a week. No, it is. It is. It is seven. It's seven times. Once, yeah. once hockey season is underway, you're right. It is a grind, but. I mean, what else am I going to do? I have no yeah. life. That's right. I, have, I have no children. I have no wife. No, not, just, what, am I, what else am I going to do? We see each other at, flame, at the dome more than anything, so it's the same as it always is during the summertime. I have, a very, I have a very empty life, so this is what, yeah. this is what gives my life uh, meaning. <laughs> Listen, it's, it can't be all work and no play. That makes a very unhappy Pat Steimer. Yes, but true. that's a good balance that you strike. And in fairness, as you point out, our jobs are playtime, right? For most people... This is their break from the real world. Our real world is fun and games, so it's all good. Uh, so Steinberg traveled a lot off to France and then into Belgium, would you say? Deutschland. Deutschland. Uh, Verk, have you ever traveled out that far? Oh. I haven't. I've always wanted to explore more of Europe. I've been to London. You know, my mom grew up in London. She moved from Pakistan when she was 10. So I've got, like, all sorts of uncles and aunts and cousins in England, which I've been a couple of times. But I've never been to Germany Never been to Paris. Been to Italy. Went to Italy for my honeymoon. My wife and I both love Italy, so we couldn't wait to go. Went to Rome and Venice. But tell me, you know, my dad spent some time in Germany. He actually went to school there for a few years. So he loves the Deutschland. Like when it gets to the World Cup, I always feel like I can cheer for England for my mom, Germany for my dad. Good people. Like a lot of uh, a lot of good history that I'm sure you explored, Patty. So did you uh, you say your mom was born uh, born in London or moved to London? Now, moved to London when she was 10. Okay. And then emigrated to Canada when she was 25. Right? Okay. She spent her whole childhood in London. And uh, all my, all my, like, I have all my mom's family, all my cousins, they're all still in London. They're still so furious. Women's World Cup. England's falling to Spain, of course. I know. But, uh, yeah. The, the Deutsche must have been great, though. 
Deutschland is uh, Germany's awesome. I mean, it's, uh, pa- Paris is uh, just the coolest place ever. Um, and it's, uh, yeah. I can't even imagine what that place is going to be like in a year's time or a little bit less than a year's time when they host oh. the 20. Like, it, I, I honestly, I honestly can't, having been spent a, a lot of the last two years and a lot of vacation, I think I've spent like almost 20 nights in Paris over the last couple of, couple of years. Like, I, I honestly wow. have, have no idea how they're going to make the Olympics work there. It's going to work. And just taking a look at some of the venues, like they're going to have literally beach volleyball is happening in the, the Champ de Mar, uh, which is uh, right in front of the, uh, right in front of the <laughs> Eiffel tower. Like they're literally doing beach volleyball where the Eiffel wow. tower is. And they're doing like the, some of they're doing stuff like at the, the palace of the Versailles palace. So like the, the actual, they're doing the opening ceremonies. They're not doing it at the Stade de France. They're doing it uh, on the Seine. So they're literally, like instead of people marching wow. into a studio, they're gonna do like 180,000 people on the Seine on on I think the left bank of the Seine, or maybe they're gonna do it on both banks. Uh, and and they're gonna instead of athletes marching in, they're putting them all on boats. So they're they're gonna like Canada. Here comes Canada. Wow. They'll be on a boat and they're gonna go all the way down to the Trocadero. They're gonna start in uh, like right near Bastille on the 11th and go all the way to the Eiffel Tower is how the opening ceremonies are going to be. Like It is going to be the most bonkers Olympics we have ever seen uh, 100 years on from Paris hosting them in 1924. Like It's actually hard to wrap your head around what it's going to look like in, in a year's time. So it's just the coolest city in the world, and then Germany's awesome. Trains and transit, and uh, Europe's just a different world, man. Yeah, one of my buddies, I just played tennis with him yesterday. He just went with his family. He's got two kids to England and France. And I said, how was it? He goes, oh, it was amazing. He said, the food in France was to die for. I said, really? He said, yeah, he goes, you sound surprised. I said, my sister-in-law also loves France, but said the food wasn't great. He goes, are you joking? He goes, every piece of bread that I've been into was amazing. Yeah. The, the rabbit was great. Any sort of meat is well prepared. Uh, the red wine flowing. And I said, well, about the Eiffel Tower? He goes, fantastic. Saw it at night. His only disappointment was the Louvre. I go, really? He goes, he goes, too many people. And he goes, the one Louvre is pretty small. You're jam-packed in there. He goes, it's a lot of waiting around. He goes, but, but the rest of Paris is phenomenal. And he also dropped the fact, he said, <laughs> he said, per capita, most attractive women he's ever seen. I said, well, what kind of a statement is that? He said, I'm telling you, everywhere you look. And I said, I, by the way, also attractive men. He said, why would you say that? I go, because Pat Steinberg and I are both huge fans of Quebec City. And every I go to, every time I go to Montreal and Quebec, I go, listen, the women are beautiful, but so are the men. Yeah. Everyone's in good shape. Maybe because they smoke cigarettes, they're all skinny, but uh, <laughs> I said, they're all really well dressed. Yeah, I said, they all smoke cigarettes and they're all really skinny and they're all really well dressed. He said, yeah. He said, honestly, my wife at one point even was like, wow, there's a lot of attractive women here. So I don't know if you can confirm that oh, with regards to it, Paris, but that's what everybody said. Everybody is beautiful and every, like, they can, uh, <laughs> like, everybody is just uh, attractive. You can tell who the people are that live in Paris, A, because of, like, you can tell tourists fairly easily. I tried to dress a little bit more um, like a local as opposed to a tourist this time the around. The chapeau. Well, and, and no open-toed right. shoes and just, like, you know, and, and yeah. you know, shorts that are a little bit more stylish. Um, and so, but you can tell Parisians because they all have a scowl on their face. And you're just like, yeah. You know they're used to uh, millions of people everywhere you look, and I'll say this: the the I went to the Louvre last year. I didn't go this year just because I I was there. I I went. I booked the time at 11 a.m. and I was like, oh yeah, you know, I'll go to the Louvre, be there for a couple hours, and then go do something else. I literally shut the place down because.
because I was just there, uh, and and I was like, well, I'm here. I might as well just go until six when they close. <laughs> and and so I saw everything I need to see. The Venus de Mayo striking like unbelievable. You can get to it as close to I am to to lo- like literally. You can get beside the Venus de Mayo, the Mona Lisa, boring whatever. It's like yeah, it's like this little the size of Logan's head, and you can get you get a little bit a close to it. Though. You do have a larger head, but like still, it's a small yeah. it's a small picture, small painting. Um, but you're still like that's the Mona Lisa, that's Leonardo da Vinci, that's pretty cool. Uh, but the Venus de Mayo striking some of the other like um, different exhibits they have, very cool. All the antiquities, all the the Greek stuff, the Egyptian stuff. It's very very cool. One time was enough. Um, but I'll say this. The Eiffel Tower is the one thing in all my time on Earth that is consistently consistently blows me away every time I go. Uh, daytime, wow. nighttime, uh, first time, last time. Uh, of of I've probably been to that place just because you're like, you know what? I want to go see the Eiffel Tower. I've probably been like seven times in the last two years just because you go and it just it blows you wow. away. It is such. A cool, like, if you ever go to Paris and you're like, I don't want to do touristy things, the one thing you got to do is just go to the Eiffel Tower just once. It is just the coolest, most breathtaking it's, thing. It's funny you say that because what you just said about the Eiffel Tower, every single time you see it, it blows you away. That's what you are to me. Uh, piece of Night or day, it doesn't matter. You just, every time I see you, yeah. blow me away. <laughs> Uncomfortable silence follows. No, I'm just, I'm just basking in the love is what I'm doing. Anyway. Um, Europe rules. And uh, wait, yes. wait, one, one more Deutschland question. Yeah. yeah. I'm a huge Porsche guy. Yeah. How great are the cars in Germany? I mean, the Audubon must be incredible. So I, uh, I did trains this time around. I was in Germany in 2019. Autobahn, unbelievable at a, a GTI, uh, a golf GTI. And the thing which yeah. in Germany, like they're built there. Um, and like the ones we get in North America built in Mexico for the most part, the ones that they have in Germany built in Germany. And so they have an extra like 40 horsepower on the GTI. The thing absolutely hauled. Uh, and it, uh, you know, to, to hit 220 km uh, per hour on like, and do it, doing it legally um, is just, like one of the coolest, most thrilling things ever. And the cars are unbelievable. Everybody in Germany, for the most part, because they all get subsidized. If you buy a German car in Germany, it is way cheaper. Like for them to buy an Audi is like us buying something way lower level in North America. For them to buy an Audi. Right. I didn't want I didn't want to name any cars because we have a bunch <laughs> of different car dealerships. But you know, just like to, to buy a Mercedes, an Audi, a BMW, Porsche, uh, Opel, any of the higher end German brands, um, way cheaper to buy in Germany because you get subsidized for buying a German car. And so everybody drives Volkswagen, uh, BMW, Mercedes, uh, Audi, and a little bit of Opel. And most of most people drive wagons. Um, it's just such a, it's like, you're like German cars everywhere in Germany. And because German people get them for way cheaper, German citizens get them for way cheaper. Um, it's a good way to stimulate the economy. I love it. Uh, this has just been a fascinating geopolitical conversation. I don't know how we're going to segue to sports, but I... <laughs> now let's, uh, let's talk about the latest coalition government in Germany. And, uh... <laughs> so, Pat, could you give us the latest economic report from uh, imports and exports out of Germany? Also, if you ever go to Berlin specifically, bring cash. They are, like, it is the most, like, behind the times. Uh, if you want to use a card in Berlin, the amount of scowls you get, yeah. just, like... 
Let me, you, you're advertising that I can use a visa here. Let me use the, no, no, cash only. No, you just, it's just right here. I can use, oh, well, we got to, uh, we get charged if you use your visa. You're like, I don't care. Don't advertise that you can use. So bring cash if you go to Berlin. Well, that's hilarious. You would think like, you know, Europe, progressive, Berlin, major city, like everything's plastic. You go to a baseball game now. I took my kid to the Yankee game. Everything's plastic. Like I bring cash. Like, no, no, no cash. cash. It's literally plastic only. And you're telling me there's a place in the free world that still says cash only, and then it's the city of Berlin. Yep. That's incredible. It's it's actually it's actually ridiculous. Wow. Everywhere in France, uh, cash is great, but uh, they and and you know at most you tip ten percent in Europe, if, unless you get like incredible service. But like most places, they give you the machine. There's no tip option. You have to be like go out of your way to be like, oh, actually, can you add you know two euro, four euro, whatever to the bill because I like the service. Like you go yeah. out of your way to tip. Otherwise, if you don't tip, they don't get mad at you. It's uh, it's it's a bit of a mind. Uh, it messes with your mind. I hope you're bit. writing all this down, Burke. I'm taking extensive <laughs> notes right now. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a test when this is all over. <laughs> uh, I was like, all right, we're going to do this next time we talk. I'm like, all right, Thailand, Patty, what do you have on Thailand? I'm going to try my Dubai. best. I'm going to try to I can for at least a couple of sports questions. Uh, Adnan Verk, when you think of the career of Steven Strasburg, what will come to mind as he announced he's retiring today because of a uh, rare nerve condition? Well, you know, I think it's injury-riddled excellence. You know, he, he comes out of the scene, number one draft pick out of San Diego State, so much hype, you know, big, strong, and he goes out there and they call it Strassmus, right? He struck out 14 guys. I'm actually going to be talking to Bob Costas. How's that for a name drop? At 6.30 Eastern today, Bob called his first game that they be on MLB Network with Jim Cott and John Small. So I'm curious to hear what Bob's impressions were of seeing Strasburg at that time. And then you think about famously where they didn't pitch him lately here because they were conserving his innings, which everyone was appalled by because it actually had a chance of going deep in the playoffs. And unfortunately, they get out in the division series. But then I think of the World Series, how great he was. He literally put the demons back. You know, he's got the lowest postseason ERA by starters since Sandy Koufax and the fifth lowest ever, which is remarkable to think about. It's proof of how. Dominic was in 2019, but again, it go back to injury riddled excellence. After he does that, and they give him a seven-year, $245 million contract, it's been a disaster. Like, this has to be one of the worst contracts ever signed. Think about this. They, they win the World Series. You go, okay, Rendon or Strasburg? We'll go with Strasburg. Seven years, 245, and he has thrown, in that time, 528 pitches. I did the math on this. I don't know how the contract works, if he gets paid every single dollar, insurance, whatever. But if he gets paid every single dollar, that means he will have earned $464,000 per pitch he has thrown since winning the World Series. That is insanity to me. Wow. That's been a bit since that World Series, too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's when you win the World Series, and I get it. You, you say, well, it was worth everything. Really? Was it worth $464,000 wow. to pitch? Like, if you, if you had made the decision then to go, you know what? Pitcher versus hitter will stick with Rendon. And Rendon has played as he has, which, by the way, he's only played, let's say, 50% of games. But you're still getting some value out of Anthony Rendon. If we compare right now Rendon's salary to Strasburg's, Rendon has been a disappointment. I get that. The yeah. Angels realize, oh, my God, I can't believe we gave him this much money. But 50% of the time he has played. I don't know his numbers offhand, but let's say he's hit uh, 75 home runs in the last three years. That's something. 
Strasburg, 528 pitches. It's astonishing. I, I, I can't get over it, quite frankly. Uh, from one pitcher to another, at least uh, pitching half of the time, uh, Shohei Otani, a torn UCL, won't pitch again this season. Sounds as though, uh, from a couple of different people, he is going to be with the Angels in New York and is going to continue to hit while he figures out what to do with his UCL. Uh, but I guess immediate reaction to this, Adnan, is this going to have a big effect on his free agency and how much he gets paid this offseason? I would think it has to have some impact, Logo. I was off yesterday, and I woke up some of the news sites. Oh, my God. And as soon as I saw UCL tear, I go, that's the same thing he had before, and he had Tommy John. So I'm just going to go ahead and assume UCL tear means Tommy John. He's going to be a two-time Tommy John guy, which that can happen. Nathan Evaldi is going to be top five in the Cy Young this year. He's a two-time Tommy John guy. But it's not automatic. When you get Tommy John surgery the first time, it's not automatic. You get it a second time, it's not automatic. You go back to being the guy you once were. The numbers he's put up this year, 3-1-4 ERA, 167 strikeouts, 134 innings, and hitting 44 home runs. Like, this might be the greatest year we're ever going to see from Otani. You have to take that risk. But let's suppose, and I don't think he should play again this year. He's going to be testing free agency. I don't think he comes back to the Angels. If you wanted to stay on the Angels, he would have resigned, period. Right? You look at guys who want to stay with their teams. They give them a big contract, they stay. Julio Rodriguez, Fernando Tatis, the list is Adley Rutschman. The list is endless. In the case of Otani, he could have signed at any point. He said, eh, let me go test free agency. We don't know why, because he wants to leave. He's had six years of the Angels. They haven't even sniffed the playoffs. This is the one year they go, okay, we're close enough. Let's make a move. They go and get Giolito and Lopez and Crone and Grichik, and they're 5-16 and 16 since August 1st. Like, absolute disaster. So why on earth would you want to stay with the team for six years? You never even came to the playoffs. Couldn't even have a winning season. So he's gone. I think it's the Dodgers. Maybe it's the Giants. Maybe it's the Mariners. Those are my top three picks right now. Maybe it's the Mets at number four. But the point being, I don't think he should play the rest of this year. And he's going to win the MVP because he's had just an insane year. But for next year, if it's a UCL tear, if my math is correct on this, he'll need Tommy John. Now, if you look at Bryce Harper, he had the quickest comeback ever from Tommy John. You saw him come back in June this year, and he's not been the same guy. Still walks a ton, still hits, but not the same power. Mm-hmm. Until recently, he's hit a few more home runs, but Bryce Harper's probably going to go the entire year without hitting 20 home runs, which is surprising. So how does this impact free agency? Otani, to me, was going to get at least $500 million, if not 600 One pundit to me said to me, 12 years, 660 So if I'm the Dodgers, do I still give that to him knowing he's going to get Tommy John probably this offseason and won't be able to pitch next year? And we'll be able to hit, but probably can't come back till early to mid-June. And we'll be compromised for at least a season. Like, maybe he still gets the $600 million. Right? Like maybe they go, well, that's one year down. He'll be 30, but we'll still get five great years. And the other five years, that one, we'll figure it out. Fine, we need to get this guy. Maybe that's how it works out. But I'm telling you, when I saw the news, I go, whew, now there's going to be some risk involved. Now you're potentially a two-time Tommy John guy. He's going to potentially miss half of next year. You know, he clearly can't pitch next year. It definitely raises some questions, and there's going to be some concerns. I'm sure in the contract, injury protection, insurance, et cetera. But, like, no doubt he's going to get paid because he's Otani, and no one's ever seen anything like this in the sport. But, man, it's a buzzkill, and it's frustrating. i got to tell you, as a baseball fan, because I'm wondering why the Angels kept trotting him out there. Yeah. Now, this isn't related to the UCL tear, but recently you've seen him, right? Blisters, fingernail issue. Like, he's been banged up the last month. Every Otani story, kind of like, yeah, hey, he's not 100%. They should have just shut it down. It, it's, it's definitely frustrating as a baseball fan. Uh, we've talked about a lot of teams that have underwhelmed this year, Vert, but I'm curious between these two teams in your area, 
which one you think has been a bigger disaster. And I use that term because that's what Brian Cashman described this season as for the New York Yankees. Who's had it worse in your mind compared to expectations, Yankees or Mets? Well, it's definitely a provocative question, Logo. I'll go with the Mets because $350 million payroll and then a luxury tax on top of that 110. So you're you know, pushing half a billion, and the fact you're not even sniffing the playoffs and you're going to end up being – they're 24 games back of first place. I mean, the Nationals beat the Yankees today, so the Mets are now like in dead last in their division. That's atrocious to be, you know, 10 games under 500. And yet the Yankees, not much better. They're four games under 500, not quite as much of a salary, $293 million. But I like the fact that Brian Cashman didn't mince words. Now, I think too often times leaders try to go, ah, we're getting there, we're doing our best. I like the fact he spoke with the passion of which the fan base expects. Don't try to tell me it's been disappointing. It's been fr- – no, dude, it's a disaster. Like, you're 61 and 65, your last place in the AL East. You had your longest losing streak since 1982. That quantifies as a disaster. And I think Brian Cashman deserves a lot of the blame for this. Josh Donaldson acquisition, terrible. $25 million a year for guys who defensive specialists can't hit. Stanton trade, disaster. You still got four more years and $128 million left in that contract. Imagine if you told the other team, we'll eat half that salary. We'll eat $60 million. Will you take them off our hands for four years, 56? Would the Giants say we'll pay you $14 million a year? I don't think they would. I just looked at his numbers. He's hitting 201 this year. He doesn't even have 20 home runs. He doesn't even have 50 RBI. And that guy's getting $30 million a year. Four more years of that contract. Horrible. Again, I know the Marlins are paying some of that money, but Cashman took the risk of thinking Stanton would be a star. Hasn't been the case. LeMayhew signs one of the great deals ever by Cashman. Two years, $24 million. Guy was a steal. We've got to resign him. The Jays might get him. Okay, six years, 90. Awful. He's a utility player now. He's got like eight home runs, hits 240. Brutal. And you've still got four more years of that contract. I mean, the list continues. Rizzo, two-year deal. What happens this year? He starts off okay, gets banged with concussion, been brutal ever since. Now he's hurt, not even playing. Next year, he's got one year left in his contract in his mid-30s, making $16, $18 million a year. Rodon, six years, $162 million. Bust, can't pitch for three months. He comes back. He gets beaten up in a couple of starts and then blows a kiss to the fans. Like, what are you doing? This is the guy who's supposed to be the number two to Garrett Cole. So it all goes back to Brian Cashman. And, of course, I'm loyal to my buddy Aaron Boone, our years together working at ESPN. I know the whispers are abounding that Booney might lose his job, but I, I, honestly, I think it's ridiculous. Earl Weaver could manage this team. Lou Pinella could manage this team. And you couldn't get the results from this team. Like, who is expecting? Like, what, do you, what do you expect Aaron Boone to do? He said everything he can. He did a last Diaz impression. He gets tossed. He supports his players. He criticizes his players. Whatever you need him to do, he's doing. The team still stinks. That's roster construction. They have not put together a good team. Quite frankly, if you go back to July when they were in the wild card mix, it's honestly amazing. There were only three games in a wild card spot. Since July, they've been one of the worst teams in baseball and really shown their true colors. But it's an absolute mess in New York. There's no question about it. But I think the Mets are a bigger mess. They spent more money and had higher expectations, and they've been worse than the Yankees. Okay, I haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks. That means we've got a couple of episodes of Cinephile to catch up on. And uh, you mentioned Bob Costas, and it was interesting to find out that I have something uh, in common with Bob Costas, and that's that we're both big fans of Cinephile. How did this? How did this come to be? How did this find out about Bob Costas' love of uh, Cinephile? Yeah, so he's obviously a colleague here at MLB Network, and he calls you know, let's say twenty games for the network, and pops up here and there on shows. So he's an avid viewer. He's a, he's a lifelong baseball fan. It's his favorite sport, despite the fact he did football night in America. And he obviously the NBA and NBC. Baseball has always been his first love. 
So he watched the show quite a bit. And I, I've interviewed him a couple of times. So I was filling in on some other shows. And, you know, he's quickly noticed. He's like, no, I, I can see you're quite a movie buff here. Always dropping these movie references. And he himself is also a huge movie fan. So um, he had messaged me. And, and uh, I think the last time he was on, he was talking about the Babe Ruth story, which the film came out in the 40s. And he was laughing at the ending, how ridiculous it is, especially when you compare it to the John Goodman movie, which isn't much better. So he ends up texting me after. He said, listen, apparently you're te- I dropped Ben Mankiewicz's name. He, of course, is the host of TCM. I said, well, I'll give my buddy Mank a call sometime. We'll get together. He goes, you're tight with Mankiewicz. I said, yeah, of course, but Ben's my guy. He said, I'd love to have dinner sometime, three of us. If you're willing to pay, you can come. We'll see what we can do. So um, I texted Mankiewicz. I go, how's this for a name drop? Bob Costas wants to hang out. He apparently is a big fan of Turner Classic Movies. And he has, a, has an idea for you. He's like, dude, I'm flattered. I'm in L.A. I'm normally in Atlanta. That's where they shoot their stuff. Of course, Turner Studios, where, yeah. uh, like TNT, and they do their things. So he said, all right, potentially I'll come to New York. So actually, I'm having Bob on today because we're talking Strasburg. I just texted Mank. Okay, Bob wants to know you're going to be in New York. He said, <laughs> I'm actually going to go back to L.A. because Telluride is Labor Day weekend, but I may be in New York end of the month. So I texted Bob back, and I said, I'm talking to you in a couple hours, but just so you know, Mankowitz says he might be in the New York end of the end of the month. He's a fantastic. So this, I mean, they say you should never meet your idols, but I'm on the verge here of having dinner with Bob Costas <laughs> with a guy who I also really admire, Ben Mank, with the Turner Classic Movies. I'm not sure if I can handle it. I'm going to have to call Oberman. I'm going to call Keith Oberman, who's my other broadcasting <laughs> idol. And okay, this will be the greatest night of my life. I mean, Oberman, Costas, Mankiewicz. Let's go. Uh, and lastly, I have to ask you, because this guy uh, intrigues me to, to no end, and you had him and a director on talking about their new film, What's Michael Sarah like? Because Michael Sarah strikes me, and I think Steinberg, we've talked about this before because of our love of super bad. Michael Sarah strikes me as just yeah. like anti Hollywood guy. He's not on social media. He, he kind of seems like he has his own bit of humor. But you guys had him on the show talking about his new movie uh, last week. Yeah, it was fantastic. His new movie's called The Adults. I interviewed him at the Tribeca Film Festival, which was back in June. So we, did, we shelled the interview because they wanted to time it to coincide with the movie coming out. But, of course, right now with the actor's strike, actors are prohibited from speaking to the media. So I had to make it very clear on the pod that, you know, Michael and I interviewed a while ago. But he was great. He was, uh, he was funny. He was self-deprecating. He was very proud of this new movie. And I didn't mention Superbad, but, of course, I mentioned the rest of the development. It's one of my favorite shows. Yes. So he shared a couple of stories about that. And I said, you know, one thing about Canadians. I said, I've talked to Will Arnett before. Will Arnett says, you know, every time Canadians – They'll always start a story by saying, a buddy of mine. Like, everything's always, oh, a buddy of mine was telling me. I always talk to my buddy, and, like, buddy, it's always that. And I said, I didn't really notice that until I do go back to Canada. I do notice there's a lot of a buddy of mine was saying, or I talked to a buddy, and my buddy was telling me. So Michael Sarah laughed. He goes, well, what Will and I notice is that every Canadian always mentions when someone's Canadian. Like, if someone's telling a story about Alan Thicke, like, Alan Thicke, Canadian. And then in that same podcast, my producer, Chris Cody, mentioned Seth Rogen. And immediately I said, well, Canadian. He goes, see, it's true. Michael Sarah is right. You guys, you guys are just very, very clear about wanting to claim whoever is Canadian. I said, yeah, it's just, you know, inferiority complex, whatever you want to call it, pride. We just want to always notice whoever a Canadian is. But Sarah's a good dude because he gets back to Brampton, Ontario, at least once or twice a year. So that his parents, his siblings are still there. So he's a proud Canadian. Good dude, Michael Sarah. What, uh, okay, Virk, what, so with, with this strike, what the heck, what, what does this mean for people who were excited for television shows to return and movies to, re- like, what are we actually, what are we talking about here? So short-term, Patty, it's okay because they've got so much in the tank that the releasing stuff has happened. Like, Only Murders in the Building, for example, came out this third season, August 8th. But in the past, you'd have Steve Martin and Martin Short, who are hysterical, speaking of Canadians, Martin Short, who would be showing yes. up like on talk shows for one of the show. Hamilton. Now they can't do that, right? So a movie like The Blue Beetle, 
which you're all in on. Superheroes, Latin superheroes, something different. They said that was heard at the box office because their stars couldn't go on Colbert and, and Fallon and all those other shows. Right. So content is still being distributed, but it's not being promoted, and therefore that's hurting financially. And the real issue is going to become next year. So the, the rumors are the strikes going to go at least till the end of this year. So they've got enough content in the tank, and especially movie-wise, of course. My boy Scorsese, Marty's new movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, coming out in October. Like, it, it's, it's still going to be released, but you're not going to have Leo and De Niro promoting it, obviously. But point being, if you are an avid consumer of this, as you and I are, we're going to feel it January, February, right? Let's suppose January, they settled the strike. Well, they haven't done anything for six months. So now they're going to have to really rush to start churning out content. So there's going to be, I would assume, a void of new content early next year once everything that's in the tank right now dries up. But, hey, fingers crossed they get this thing resolved. The Emmys, by the way, already have been moved. They're supposed to be in September. They've been moved to January 5th, which feels a little optimistic. I mean, I hope it's done by then, but it's not great. Do they always last this long? Like, I I, I know there have been SAG strikes before and writer strikes, but, like, do they usually last this long? I feel like this one is is more no. prolonged than normal. Hundred percent. This one they're digging in more pack is the whole issue of AI. Because apparently what the studios are saying, and I read this, this is kind of appalling. Like if you're an extra on a movie, they can hire you for the day and then use your likeness as much as they want, not give you any residuals, and they can kind of use your body to play like ten other roles. Like with, with the use of AI, they can kind of just take you and multiply you. And it's like, well, hang on a second. You're going to pay me like 150 bucks to work one day, and then the movie makes how much more than a million dollars and I'm getting anything? Like, it's ridiculous. And I think a lot of the actors, the more you, you dig at it, you say, hey, this isn't the uh, cast of Grey's Anatomy looking for a raise. This is your average below-the-line actor. Right. 80% of actors are like extras. It's those guys who are making dirt who are saying, hey, we've got to get our jobs here. And the whole issue of AI is very complicated, right? That's what the writer's strike first was about was, you know, the studios think, why can't we just have artificial intelligence write scripts? Which sounds insane to me, but the fact that it's even on the table shows how serious the studio is taking it and how serious the writers and actors are now being in response to it. Well, I know that, uh, and just as you mentioned AI, I know there is, uh, being a big Marvel dork like I am, and Logan is as well, like the, the latest uh, Disney Plus show, um, Secret Invasion, they did an AI open, uh, so it's like a good two-minute open to every episode, and that had a lot of people upset that, that Disney and Marvel would go AI to animate their opening instead of getting an animator to do it or getting CGI people to do it or getting a studio to do it because it took it out of human. Uh, of, of human hands. I know that was actually a pretty big controversy for a lot of people. Yeah, I could totally understand people's frustration, Pat. I'm with them. Like, I, I have such respect growing up. Listen, I would watch those, you know, Disney cartoons. You'd see the animators, how hard they work, what they put together. Like, to me, it's a real art. And it's something that you can appreciate. And to think you can just put in the hands of a robot. And I, and I get it. Listen, companies trying to save money and be fiscally responsible. I understand it's a business, but that's it really feels like a slap in the face to all those people who work so hard and have a real craft. You know, that's, that's really what motion pictures is. It's, a, it's about craft, and it's, it truly is the work of artists. And once you start to think you can replicate that with a machine, it, it really isn't the same thing. Uh, Virk, I look at you as an artist, and uh, every time And a machine, could, though. But it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both, to be honest. <laughs> uh, your intelligence does frighten me a lot like AI does as well. But uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on, pal. Thanks for taking some time for us. It was great to have you on with uh, me and Steiny today. Thanks, Virk. Uh, Patty, Logo, let's do it again soon where man meets the machine, and next time I want travel tips for Dubai. Let's make it happen. Done. <laughs> You're the best, Virk. Take care, pal. Thanks, fellas. You too. Bye now. Ed Enver joining us.
down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon, MLB Network, NHL Network, and of course, the Cinephile Podcast. We will take a break. We'll come back on the other side. Hour two rolls on. It's Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pat and Logan along with you. Hour two of Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Alongside a table smacking Pat Steinberg. You know that I saw these guys uh, literally after this song came out. They played Edgefest, I want to say 99. They played Edgefest 99 at the Scotiabank Saddledome, which at the time was the Pengrove Saddledome, or maybe still the Canadian Airlines Saddledome. But they played the Dome. Blink was the headliner. And then the secondary acts, some 41, and they had just hit it big in Canada. So they were still very new. So this album had just come out with um, In Too Deep and uh, Fat Lips, so on and so forth. Newfound Glory, and they had just hit it big with Hit or Miss. Uh, Good Charlotte was like the second band on. Nobody had heard of Good Charlotte at this time. They had just put out like their first EP. Um, do you remember Project Wise? No. Is that, they were a Canadian kind of like pop punk. Limp biscuit type thing. Anyway, star-studded show. Blink-182, Sum 41, Newfound Glory, Good Charlotte, all on the same bill. And Good Charlotte, like, the, ben, the Benji and Joel Madden, nobody knew who the hell they were at the time. It was one of the greatest shows ever. Only bad part was that it was indoors. Should have been an outdoor show, but nonetheless. Cool story. I don't know. What do you want to talk about, Logan? <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Don't be like uh, I can't wait till AI replaces me. Have fun. I can't wait till have, AI replaces have me. Have fun with AI me, or not even AI me, just AI host. What kind of fun stories did the AI Not nearly as fun as that one was. 99, that's a long Nine time ago. Yeah, I was... I think I was there. in just finished grade 10. Was that pre or post-March 99? Huh? I got to know if I was alive when you were on that show or not. Oh, that would have been, uh, I think it was June or July 99. Oh, so I was just yeah. kicking around. Yeah. I was not even a thought. This text says talk flames. Mm. Give it 18 minutes. We will. Mm. You try to talk flames right now, 4322. It's August 24th. Have you not listened to this radio station did earlier. before? The, goal, the Hour One podcast is up. Go listen to Rasmus Anderson on, on 32 Thoughts. Wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, you know. Yeah. We'll get there. It's Why just, are people so grumpy? It's they're summertime. just always like, I don't get it. Be happy. Be friendly, friends. Talk about some 41. We'll talk about the CFL? That, that texture won't be happy. No, but I mean... I. It's rare that this show makes the text line happy. Week 12 starts tonight, Logo. You're disappointing someone. The text line, CGY puck, my parents. It doesn't matter. Oh, the amount of friends time. and family. Dude, I have made a, cur- I have made a doesn't, life. It's all. Oh, I've, my God. I have made a life same. of disappointing people. Uh, yeah, week 12 does kick off tonight. It's a good matchup. Zach Laros is back. It's the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Hosting the Montreal Alouettes sounds like a really close to a pretty full house Zach's in back. Winnipeg. They always get full houses. Huss there. is going to be out there with the boys of Winnipeg Sports Talk hanging out. Dude, the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are like one of the pro sports success stories over the last, like, the Bombers. That's yeah, crazy what you do when you win football games. But it's not just that, because it started before they were really good. Like the Bombers are the hot ticket, not the Jets in Winnipeg. And not to say the Jets aren't a hot ticket, but 
The Bombers are the place to be. A Friday or Thursday night game at IG Field is like an event. And they, I, I honestly believe, everybody talks about what the CFL isn't doing and the issues that the CFL has right now. What the Bombers have done, part of it was helped by a gorgeous brand new stadium in IG Field. 100%. There's no gorgeous. doubt about that. And, and it's a great spot. But they're doing it better than Sask is doing it right now. And Sask has got a gorgeous new place in Regina as well. And, and Mosaic Stadium is a gem. So a, a stadium helps. Winning helps. But it's not just that. Like, they have turned it into a party. They have the, the rum hut in one of the end zones. And that's where it's like the place for the 20 to twenty to 35-year-old people. Like, people, and I'm a little older than 35. But, you know, it, it, like our age group, the millennials and the Gen uh, Gen Zs, that Bombers game, place to be. You, the, the bars on the concourse are like parties. And they win. So when it looks like there's only three quarters capacity at a bombers game. It's because those thousands of people are all off having drinks and enjoying themselves. And so they've turned it into like the place to be. It's more like a nightclub or a bar atmosphere there. And I just think if you're the CFL and you're trying to attract new young fans, which they are absolutely trying to do, I think Winnipeg's the model you got to follow. And uh, they've done a really good job. Should be a great one tonight. Uh, Bombers and the Montreal Alouettes, our focus here is the Stampeders and the Toronto Argonauts. Big game for the Stampeders. Depth chart came out yesterday. Some notable injuries for the Stamps as they head into T.O. to get you uh, all cut up on the last day before game day with your Thursday Stamps report. Here's Patrick Dumas. This this is the Stamps Report with Patrick Dumas. Final preparations for the Calgary Stampeders as they get set to head out to Canada's largest city to deal with one of the CFL's elite in the Toronto Argonauts. Some concern heading into the final day of practice on Wednesday was the status of running back Kadeem Carey, left tackle Bryce Bell, and receiver and returner Tommy Lee Lewis. Coach Dave providing a small update on their status Wednesday. Limited practices, um, you know, that's so Bryce didn't get, wasn't able to go today, so, um, but at least a couple guys at least put their helmets on and got out here and jogged and we need to win, so we're going to play our best team. And when the depth charts were released on Thursday morning, despite Carey and Lewis both being limited on Wednesday, they had both been placed on the one-game injury list and will miss Friday's contest. The news more concerning, however, for starting left tackle Bryce Bell, who was injured to start the year and has fit in well since coming back. He now finds himself on the six-game injury list with a foot injury, a big loss for a unit on offense that has had a revolving door at the tackle spot. De'Anthony Demery will make the start for Bell. And the man that will pull the trigger on offense on Friday at BMO, Jake Mayer, knows they have to move on with the guys they have and to find success with this group. You know, the hand we're dealt with as, as a team, and uh, you know we can't we can't have that be a crutch anymore. And and, and, and you know this can't be an excuse that we build in for us every week. It has to be something that uh, we push through. And everybody here is worthy enough to play and 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 get valuable time, um, or else they wouldn't be here. So that's that's the expectation, um, and uh, it is what it is. So I. Uh, about it any different than uh, you know if we were completely healthy I just I enjoy the group that we have and uh, when we're out there we're going to do our best and uh, you know hopefully that's good enough. Mayor's confident in this group and that they are prepared enough to take on the task of beating the Argonauts something they did back at the start of August but starts with putting the ball in the end zone something they haven't been able to do as an offense since week one of that week nine game against Toronto and Jake Mayer is fully aware that they need to score six on a more consistent basis. Pretty high you know it's uh, it's part of the game it's uh something that has cost us winning 
uh, in the last few weeks, and I'm aware of that, and we're all aware of that. And uh, you know, but to me, if you want to fix a problem, you have to emphasize it, and we did. And uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing, like I said, what can happen not only this weekend for the next couple months, because I think better days are ahead of us. And one of those pieces that is expected to help Mayor Fine Pater is Mark Keith Ambles, who has already gotten a start since returning to the club. He'll be going up against his former team in Toronto on Friday, and the QB loves having him back in the fold. The intensity that he brings, uh, the joy for the game that he brings uh, since I was a rookie. Um, and he's just a veteran guy that has, uh, has seen everything. You know, he's seen everything that this league has to offer defensively. Um, and he's played a variety of positions. So he's, he's super versatile in that aspect. You know, you can kind of plug him anywhere. Last week he was, you know, playing all kinds of different spots. And, and we, uh, we, we can move him around because he knows the system, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love Markeith. Uh, he's, uh, he's had a good week of practice as well. Ambles will line up at the boundary slot spot on Friday for one Trey Odoms-Dukes, who hasn't maybe had the best couple of last games uh, and now finds himself on the practice roster. Some more changes to that receiver. Even core Reggie Bagleton has been giving the designated American spot. Cole Tucker returns. Tyson Middlemost earning a start as well in the field slot position. And the speedster Floyd Allen, usually seen in the return game, gets a start at wide receiver with Luther Hakunavanu expected to work in as well. Rewinding back to that Week 9, 20-7 win over Toronto, Dedrick Mills had himself a career day running the ball 27 times for 137 yards and finds himself as the starting running back for this week for the injured Kadeem Carey. Coach and GM Dave Dickinson on wanting to assert a strong running game. We'll see how the game dictates the play. Um, we'd, like to, we'd like to be strong in the running game. We'd like to control the line of scrimmage and get uh, manageable second downs. Um, we'll see how it goes. I'm sure they'll focus on trying to take away what we did and uh, sometimes it's just a mindset of beating the guy across from him, uh, hoping that uh, we show up, we're ready to play, and that uh, we can impose our will on another man. That's how you win a lot in this game. Diedrich certainly one to watch as he has shown the ability to be a true number one in this league, and having a strong run game on first down will put the quarterback and your whole team in a better position. And overall, does this team have the right amount of arsenal for Mayer to work with? Coach Dave believes they do. I think we got enough weapons and uh, We'll see at the running back position, I'm confident in all of our guys. Uh, receiver, the guys we brought in have developed relationships uh, with Jake now and, and our quarterback room. I'm confident that you know they're going to be in the right areas, they're going to compete, and they're going to do the right things. We just got to make sure that we, we are an explosive offense that protects the football. So those are kind of tough, two tough things to do. That's what we're definitely uh, shooting for. The team played a very physical brand of football a few weeks back, and especially from that defense that held the Argonaut offense to just 202 total yards. Coach Dave on the recipe for success against Chad Kelly and the Double Blue. We know they're a great team. You can win any game. You can lose any game this league. We, we did play uh, physical. We were committed. Uh, we did do a pretty good job at managing situations, holding on to the ball, and forcing the odd turnover and special teams won. So, I mean, there's a recipe to win. We just got to figure it out and try to do it again. Easier said than done, of course. The Argos having a full week of rest and relaxation to prepare for the Stampeders. And BMO Field will provide uh, one of the more weirder experiences that any CFL team has to deal with this year, as the CNE will be going on at the same time around the area of BMO Field. Uh, here's Coach on dealing with that extra noise. You know, the distractions are, you know, they got their big deal going on at the exhibition grounds over there, and that's where we're staying. And uh, it's always a busy time anyway, but it'll be extra busy. And, uh walking to the game, not even busting to the game. There's definitely some things out there that are different. There are excuses, though, so let's just make sure we lock in and uh, when we put on our pads, uh, go out there and do what's right, uh, play our game, see what happens. Yeah, no excuses as well. Uh, BMO has certainly seen a rebirth maybe this year with Toronto. The team is good and exciting, and certainly that's resonating 
with their fan base. Taking one last look at the depth chart for the Calgary Stampeders, all the changes are on the offensive side of the ball with no Kadeem Carey, Bryce Bell, or Tommy Lee Lewis. On defense, Jonathan Moxie will miss a second straight as he deals with back spasms. Other than that, it's the same group that held the Bombers without an offensive score. Uh, despite losing James Vodders a few weeks back to the injury, the Stamps' defensive line hasn't missed a beat. Leading the league in sacks with 32, they will be very key in stopping maybe the front runner for CFL MOP through the first 12 weeks. Past successes for the Stampeder group against Toronto might serve as some extra motivation. The Stamps are 15-1 versus Toronto since 2014 and have won their last eight visits to Toronto. A couple games at Rogers Centre sprinkled in there as well. A win on Friday would tie the team record for consecutive wins on the road in one spot, tying the nine straight road wins they had in BC from 1990 to 96, Edmonton from 2009 to 2014, and in Winnipeg from 2010 to 2017. It's the Stampeders and the Argonauts, and that one goes down Friday night at BMO Field, kickoff at 5.30 p.m. With the Stampeders report. He's, he's Patrick Dumas. That's that's how that's supposed to end. I'm Matt Rose. That's, that, that's, I'm Matt Rose. Oh, that could have been Matt Rose. I think that was Patrick Dumas. That's just not in there. We just took that out. Freaky Friday. That's how those end, but apparently that's not how that one ended. Okay, fine. <laughs> I believe that's where you go. I'm Patrick Dumont, or I'm Matt Rose, but you didn't do it. Okay, fine. Uh, thanks for that, Patrick Dumont. Appreciate it. Uh, yes, Stampeders and Argos tomorrow from... No, stop that. Argos, Stampeders, Friday. Tom oh, hey. Hey, Matt Rose. Hey. Matty Rose. Yep, Matty's awkward as usual. <laughs> oh, hey. Oh, Matty. Uh, your uh, your comments <laughs> before we got into the stamps report uh, struck a chord on the text line, Patrick. Nine six zero nine six zero, where you can always comment and uh, text us uh, if you're listening live. But you know that whole concept of. Building a nice uh, arena and creating a atmosphere to go to games that the Blue Bombers and the Riders have kind of done over the last couple of years. You seem to have struck a chord with the the Calgary fans, and I, I I simply can't imagine why. Yeah, I mean, it's it's time for a McMahon Stadium replacement. I don't think there's any doubt about it. They're doing their best with it. They really are, and it's just it's tough. There's there's not a whole lot you can do with something that's 70 years old. Was it built in 1950-something in like 60 days? Or maybe it was built in the 60s? I don't know, but it's it's time. Um, I just don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how we get the... Um, I don't know how we get the replacement to McMahon Stadium, you know? I don't either. We We talked about it as being, you know, part of the Calgary Next vision and past that it's just it never feels like it's been on the table and I know there's a lot that goes into it there's land and location and you know uh, the uh, relationship with the university that that has to be considered in all this but yeah it's 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 just strange that we're at this point where I think everyone pretty clearly knows and is at the point where we need a new arena but there's just you know, it's not even like we've been with the Flames for the last couple of years where at least we can sit here and go, yeah, we're, the talks are Something's happening. coming. 
yeah, there's, you know, likely a, a light at the end of this tunnel. It doesn't feel the same with McMahon right now. No. It, and, and it's too bad because, you know, it would go a long way in helping the helping the team in the city and, and helping the league in this city. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's too bad. I hope that one day in the not so distant future, something, something can happen. It doesn't have to be a 36,000 seats facility. You can go more like what Montreal does and have a, a smaller spot and make it 20, 25,000 people, but make it a place that, that people want to go. I'm Matt Rose. Thanks, Manny. I'm Matt Rose. I'm Matt Rose. Matt Rose. Uh, you got Flamestock coming up next, uh, another hour on this Thursday. What do you got? Quesadilla. What's that? Uh, Flamestock, what do you, uh, uh, well, what do you want to do? We, uh, we've got lots to talk about coming up in the next hour, in fact. Um, I thought that Kale McLean, assistant coach of the Flames, made a really interesting comment yesterday about the style the Flames are hoping to play and, and the differences in the way the Flames could be playing this year. So what does that mean for certain players? That's how we're going to kick it off. We'll uh, talk a little Oilers with our buddy Tom Gazzola. He's going to join us next hour. Uh, Rasmus Anderson talking about the captaincy and a whole lot more in the next hour of Flames Talk. Looking forward to it. I'm Matt Rose. That, uh, puts a wrap on Sportsnet today. For Pat Steimer, for Outstanding Producers, I'm Cam Matt Rose. And Taylor this afternoon for Matt Rose. I'm Logan Gordon. I'm Matt Rose. Uh, appreciate Adnan Verk hopping on with us. Brent Gunning as well in hour number one. We'll be back tomorrow for a Friday edition. Thank you for listening, whether live or on the podcast. Hey, Dilla. Next, you're listening to Sportsnet 960, The Fan. I'm Matt Rose.